everyone. Good morning, Sarah Heppala in Dallas. Good morning, Nancy Rowan. How are you? I'm good. I uh, I come to this red table <laughs> for love because love is love and healing is love. And podcasts are healing and healing Did, is podcasts. So I have a question. Did you actually, so the red table for the two people in America who don't know is this show, I guess, that Jada Pinkett Smith has done on Facebook for, or somewhere for a number of years. I'd never heard of it till last week, but she like gets and interviews people um, at the red table. And I guess sort of we all found out, or some people knew, had interviewed uh, her husband, Will Smith, a number of years ago about, notably about uh, her infidelity. Is this correct? Am I getting this right, Sarah? Her entanglement, that's the word that she oh, uses. Right. <laughs> because they were separated at the time. Right. And so when you disentangle from one person, you you necessarily entangle with another, right? Well, she has codependency issues, as she made clear in that video. Okay, so here's the thing. You actually, wa- I only watched a two-minute clip of that video, but you you actually watched this video this weekend twice. twice. Oh, geez. Okay, spill. Tell me. I I don't even know where to start. I find it so fascinating. It's um okay. So there's two videos on Facebook Live that I watched. One of them is 10 minutes where they're directly addressing the entanglement, and the other one is a 20 minute interview about fatherhood. That one I watched. Fa- they're, they're done fairly close together. Okay. Um, this is around the time she's launched the Red Table Talks on everybody's favorite channel, Facebook Watch. Uh, I, I didn't know what it was either. I really didn't know. I knew, I knew they'd done an interview, but I, and I remember people telling me about it. I didn't know where it was, and apparently this is where it is. So uh, the, let me see. I'm going to start with the, one, the first one. Let's go the first one is, is the red table, I believe, That's right. correct? Okay. Yeah, and so it starts out, and it's just like, there's silence and she just goes, I come to this red table. And I was like, what's happening? <laughs> what's the red table? And why are we coming to it? It was real Hunger Games type. And then Will Smith is like, well, I'm here at the red table to find out whatever. And so this is, it's actually really interesting on so many levels. I mean, this is two very famous people uh, handling, at least we would perceive as much, their own publicity. They are trying to push back on a tabloid story that has gotten out of their control because Jada's former lover, a younger man, I believe named August. I I have no idea. Okay. Let's call him August. Yeah, August. And uh, had spoken out about their relationship and sort of blew up their public lives. Had he been, he'd been... moderately well-known as a rapper beforehand or unknown? I'm getting this all wrong. I would not be the person to answer that question, but I'm going to put August clout on a pretty low level. I mean, I, I, I would feel bad if that were true, but I, I wouldn't feel that bad because I don't, I don't like, I'd never heard of him. I don't know. Like, I think my sense of this was that he was a young, ambitious, troubled man that was brought in by the family at a time when Jada and Will's relationship 
was crumbling. They took a step away from each other, Jada and Will, and Jada became both a mentor, caretaker, and eventually lover or girlfriend or whatever you want to call it to this young man, August, who is considerably younger than her, a fact for which I will throw zero shade because I have had this experience as well of being involved with much younger men. And I'm very familiar with how uh, what we might call the maternal instinct uh, gets wrapped up in all sorts of things around middle age and your own waning sense of desirability. And, and there's also like all sorts of strange compatibilities in those age ranges that I think people have taken for granted. But anyway, she gets involved with him. Uh, but then she, at a time when it looks like Will and Jada are done. Okay. And, but what happens is that she eventually decides that Will is her ride or die. They get back together. August cuts up off all communication with her. But for some reason, around 2020, probably, possibly because he wants to sell a book, I don't really know, or to help his rap career, I don't really know. He goes public with the idea that they have been in a relationship and Will Smith had given his permission. And, you know, one of the things Jada wants to push back on in this in this 10-minute clip is the idea that Will Smith gave, quote, permission. Two reasons. One is that that's not entirely true. They were just separated at the time. Maybe that's just a economic way to say that they were they were separated and he's not a homewrecker. But more importantly, Jada wants us to know that she, the only person that can give permission for her to have a relationship is Jada. Um, so there's a lot of therapy talk. There's a lot of uh, I'm on a journey. There's a lot of I was broken, a lot of brokenness in this. They were broken when they came together. They were broken when they fell apart. They were broken, broken. They love healing people. At some point, Will Smith uses the word therapize, which felt like hmm. the active verb of this entire of this entire thing. Later in the video clip that you first showed to me where Jada Smith is filming Will in their in that their was home. 20, so I, you know, when I first saw this and people, we're going to have some show notes here. When I first saw, I mean, of course, look, we all know what happened at the Academy Awards a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to get to some of that, some of our sensation about what that was all about. But um, when I, you know, these things are going to come to light. Of course, they were like the news. So people are going to go ferreting around. And when I saw that little clip and it's tiny, it's like, 40 seconds long. I thought it was taken like l last week or something. Me and I too. thought, whoa, Jiminy, this is this is just cuckoo bananas. And it looked like crazy, crazy abuse. Um, again, I'll, I'll put a link to the clip. Um, and then I thought, well, God, is it even possible that this is staged? Because it sure didn't look like it. But then when you look back, um, it it was quite clear to me in that clip that as you're saying, like, Jada was in the driver's seat. We are going to do things my way. We are going to do things publicly because this is whether they legitimately feel it is therapizing or not. She has staked a little claim on uh, Facebook Watch or whatever it is because, you know, she's she's not the person out there making tons and tons of movies, right? She's, I mean, I don't know. Does she still act? I I. I, I think she was in that movie Girls Trip or Road Trip or something okay. like that. Okay. Um, but you know, she definitely was um she was putting he 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 looked both um somewhat terrorized and angry 
in that little clip with her. So that he did come to the table voluntarily to talk about this stuff, which is incredibly personal, is obviously indicative of the fact of what you started saying is like, they're going to take control of this narrative right now. Okay. The the press is going to do it. But it also seems to be, I mean, at least for her and maybe for him, I don't know, uh, an impulse, a, you know, this is the way I am going to, um, I'm going to tell my story publicly. Is Is that, am I getting that? Right. Well, it made me when you said that, it made me think about young people that say like it didn't happen unless it was on Instagram or it didn't Mm -hmm. happen unless Mm -hmm. it was on Facebook. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a certain way of living that unless you are publicizing it, i.e. posting it on the Internet, the alternate world that we all a lot of us live in, it didn't really happen. And so it does have that feel. I also think I want to say something about the Facebook watch videos, because watching their dynamic as a couple, I found them incredibly appealing. I I found something about them deeply charismatic, the way that they joked with each other. There's a point at the end where they kind of say, like, bad marriage for life, and they both start cracking up. And they have a dry gallows humor and a way of ribbing each other that I find very familiar from having worked in journalism and dated like I dated a cop and I've dated other people that have that kind of uh, ribbing sort of humor. It's, it's very appealing to me. It, it, it wasn't for all it's, it was almost like 21st century glossy in the sense of like, you think of stage PR events as being like, we are happy. Our marriage is wonderful. And their staged event was more like, we're broken. We're working through it. Okay, I got to interrupt you though, because but this is such a these are such commodities in in the world we live in, right? Yeah. Where who do we pay attention to? We pay attention to you know the broken people who gets our sympathy. Well, it's the person who's been traumatized. So this is you know as glossy as anything else. And I, and I, I I will say that I did watch. I, I kind of skipped through parts of it, but I did watch the first half of the fatherhood one. And I'm going to say that when you know this was actually on a couch. I guess it was like a red couch. And she chose, you know, she says to her sound person, whoever's off stage, um, you know, what time is it? Because he's one minute late. Like, I guess it's going to start at like 10 in the morning and it's 10.01. And she gives a like, like a sigh. And I thought, huh, that's a nice way to tee up a, a conversation with your partner, like publicly showing that you're exasperated with him. But okay, that yeah, which I, I didn't to, like which, that. to which I responded, how on God's earth did she date a millennial? Because yeah. that is, there's, they don't even know, they don't even know from time. Um, and then I have to say, I had not seen the other, the one that you're talking about, but we're going to get to that. Um, he looked like he was waiting to be ambushed at the first part of that interview. He was just like, kind of like, and I, and I agree with you. They had the, like the little pointy thing, like a ah, dog, like they're looking at each other, like those yeah. inside jokes that you have that only your spouse knows because you repeat them yeah. in the kitchen or whatever. But he also looked like he was like waiting for her to set a trap that he was going to step in. He didn't really, he was mostly talking about his dad, which was, you know, kind of interesting because I've also heard some sort of horrific stories about his father, which I have no idea if they're substantiated. I'm not even going to bring them up here. Um, But it is a very, you know, I've used this before, you know, people, people, look, if you want to be a celebrity, and I think it is probably pretty clear that, 
a lot of actors go into it to be famous and to be celebrated. Most don't make it. I mean, I used to want to be famous when I was a kid. And it if you get there, if you get this level of celebrity, you can um, be sort of quiet about it. I mean, there are some famous actors. You don't even know if they have kids. Like, you, you just don't know anything about That's their personal right. lives because they choose to be that way. My example I give of this is, um, if you remember when um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie got together, like every single supermarket you walked in, every tabloid, every cover, constantly for years, this was the only thing you saw. Then they split. You didn't really see it anymore. I mean, a little bit. But Mostly, it's because that dynamic required, or they chose, or their publicists chose for them to be in the eye all the time. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith strike me as people that um, decide to live in public. Whatever this feeds for them, whether it it, it feeds a lot of things, it feeds publicity, it it sells magazines, it it, it gives their children careers, which I always have found a little, having written about child stars, I sent you that piece I wrote about Jenna Malone. It's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, it's a, it can be an extremely ugly world, like really, really, really ugly. And most people don't make it in. Okay. But to do this voluntarily with your children, it can be seen in a lot of ways. It could be like, look, we want to give them opportunities. These opportunities are right there. There are squadrons of people with good and mostly ill intentions willing to, you know, patronize our children. Um, So I, I have no idea if they're ethical about this or not, but they have chosen to live their lives in public. And, um, and it got kind of, um, I think it got, it got messy in a way at the Academy Awards. Um, and I'd like to talk to you a little about that. I want to, I'd like to ask you, um, what you thought of that, um, of that moment. In the moment I was watching it and I thought that my feed had gone wrong because I, I have all sorts of messed up things of technology in my house. And so I kept rewinding the show, I was watching it streaming and I kept rewinding it to try to figure out what had gone wrong with my television. And then I went to Twitter and I saw what was happening and I, I sort of couldn't believe it. And I got a very sick feeling. And I remember my first thought was like, Hollywood is over. Wow. Well, you know, wait, that's so, so I did not watch the Academy Awards live, but, um, cause I was watching winning time, of course, the HBO series, but the Lakers high at priorities, but, um, I actually thought, I mean, we all know that the Academy Awards have been dying for a number of years and yeah. for a number of reasons, lots of reasons. I mean, like everyone's like, who's watching the Academy Awards anymore? Right. But um, I thought at that moment, wow, that could really be it. Like, that's it. Like, we, yeah. you can't go backwards from this. I, I don't think you can walk it back. I mean, I think it's just like somebody's shit in the Vanity Fair punch bowl. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just not, everything about that was so wretched I had been watching on a whim when I was a little girl. One of my strongest memories is being about seven or eight years old. And I was obsessed with movies at the time. And I was obsessed with the Academy Awards. I wanted to be famous and I wanted to very much know who was going to win the Oscar for best picture. And I knew it was going to be past my bedtime. And I have a very vivid memory of crying. I mean, praying, (sighs) praying to God that I wasn't even very religious praying to be able to stay up past bedtime. Um, and it didn't work out for me. And I woke up and learned that I believe like reds or the dresser or whatever had won. I didn't even know what the movie was, but that's how important the Academy Awards were to me. And it was very striking to me that that day 
I saw a push notification on my phone and I was like, oh my God, the Academy Awards are still on. I literally <sighs> did not know Whoa. we still had them because I thought, I mean, of course I did. I did. I did. But I, I just, I thought maybe I'd see more before they came out. I had no idea they were that night. So I had been watching a show on Netflix. I got bored with it. I decided to toggle over to the Academy Awards. I was immediately struck by how bad they were. I was going to Twitter to see who was funnier about this than I was in my own head. Someone had said something like, I, I really like these daytime no Emmys. One. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Because I found it profoundly unfunny. Uh, it felt unmasked in a way. I think this started going bad for me around the Me Too year when Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey were chased out of town with pitchforks. And then the entire Academy stood around and congratulated themselves with their pins on their lapels and cheered the exile of two of their most powerful people that were clearly scapegoats in this mess. Uh, not to say they weren't guilty not to say they weren't troubled, but to say they were representative of an entire uh, soul rot that had been going on in that industry really probably from its inception. Sure. And, you know, when I watched that and then I hilariously, I mean, sorry, a little schadenfreude here, watched some of the guys that were wearing the Time's Up pins <laughs> take it in the shorts <laughs> later. And I was just like, oh my God, you guys, like, seriously, this is so crazy. And I just started pulling away from it. It didn't feel like a spectacle that I and also the movies were getting bizarre. I didn't I didn't know them. Uh, oh man, so I, if you could go back and it was not this year but last year, um I'll put a link to it if I can find it. Bill Maher on one of his shows was talking about <laughs> the movies that had been nominated for 2020 and it's like, you know, it's an old woman who's shitting in a bucket in an RV. It's it's like, you know, poverty and it's like, do we really it's like covid, do we really it's really really everything has to be so serious all the time. It's like that old movie, I think it's called Sullivan's Travels. Like, Oh, I love Sullivan's right, Travels. Right. And Brilliant. Like, uh, uh, Veronica Lake's hair. I mean, that's, oh, you just need to watch it for her life. hair. But the movie is about, you know, like this guy's very serious. We have to only make things about serious, you know, issues that are affecting mankind. And then he, you know, he goes around on, I guess, the, as a hobo and he's in a hobo camp and he looks and all the men there are laughing at Mickey Mouse. And he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that's right. Entertainment's supposed to fucking entertain people, right? Not just remind them of how terrible life is at all times. Well, it's funny. It's been about a hundred years since the Great Depression and since the dawn of the the sort of Hollywood's great reign. And it's interesting how it's gone from Hollywood is here to entertain to Hollywood is here to change hearts and minds and votes and and as a piece of activism. And I think that much like we were talking about in journalism, I think that will be the end of it because people don't want that. I mean, if you take one, also take one look at TikTok. People, I mean, like it, it, the first time I saw TikTok, I was sitting next to a 21 year old who was wanted to be famous and he wasn't listening to me and he was sitting there and it was like, all I could hear was just like every 15, 20 seconds, there was a new joke. There was a new stream. There was a new voice. And he was, sometimes he was laughing. Sometimes he was just stoic, but he sat there for, for so long. And I was just like, Hollywood's over. That was another moment when I was like, Hollywood's over because people are doing this for free or, mm -hmm. you know, clout or, you know, free laundry detergent or whatever people are doing TikToks for. 
And it's, it's, that's a wave that's global and undeniable. You can't, like an Adam Sandler movie can't go up against that. No, and it's constantly being pumped through with fresh stuff. I mean, con- what, what's going to live? What's going to live? Things that are constantly being pumped through with fresh stuff. In Hollywood, that's not the case because it becomes prohibitive to, like, make one of these big movies. And people are like, why do I need to do that? We had that, I can't remember what it was about eight years ago, that person filmed an entire movie on an iPhone, and it was great. And it's like, why? Well, I, I don't need this. Oh, it, it's actually really, really good. I'll find it. Something with the, maybe with the word orange in it. I got to find it. But it was, oh, cool. it was really good. And it was like, why do I need to wait for 6,000 people to give me the fucking green light? I don't. And then like play, well, hi, we're doing it right here. Did How many people did we need to get permission from to uh, to do this? Uh, Just my this cat. Podcast? Yeah, and he's not, Wilson's not quite, what's his name? William? It's Wallace. Wallace Williams. Wallace. Anyway, um, all right, so back to that moment. So I will, Um, I did not watch the Academy Awards. I used to, I used to love them, actually. I mean, I was the person who would get dressed up and, like, put out some crudite. Not crudite. Yes, I always loved, I always meats. loved Oscar parties. Yeah, it was great. Like, bubbles. okay, my husband could have cared less. It's like, whatever, I'm not watching this. But I'm like, I'd invite some people over. We'd always have fun. In any case, those days are long gone. But um, I did, of course, saw, I saw it. And I, I, my first, my, I, well, first of all, my first thought was like, is that staged? Because of course you would think maybe it was staged. And then you quickly realize that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And my first initial reaction was, why was she not protecting her husband? Mm-hmm. Like, what is this about? So you slow it down or you don't even need to slow it down. You, The joke happens. Will Smith laughs. Um, she gets a very sour look on her face. I guess she looks at him. I don't really know. His countenance changes. He gets up. He hits him. He sits back down. It was so, everything stopped. And then, you know, Chris Rock, what did you say? And he just, you know, hit me in the fucking face or whatever. <laughs> and then, and then. Fucking and then, pro. And then Will Smith, I, I was actually even more shocked when he, when he's like, get my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. And he said it twice. I was like, and I was like, what? Okay, let me just, let me try to explain what I mean about not protecting her husband because I understand that this might, is like, what do you mean? Well, obviously you've been married a long time. You know your husband. If you know him and you think that something like this is going to set him off, which it didn't, it was her, but let's say it wasn't that way. You would reach your hand across or whatever and say, baby, baby chill. Now, I have another scenario of how this could have worked out well for everyone. He could have gotten up on stage, walked up to Chris Rock, did a pretend little patty slap, and then stage whispered, dude, get my wife's name out of your mouth, and sat back down. That's kind of like an everybody win if he needs to make some sort of show of chivalry for his wife. And I'm going to add one other thing. So, Mostly friends of mine, all every man I know has said he's so weak. They they saw what Will Smith done as just an incredible sign of weakness. And I will even go back to what you're saying as a broken person. This is someone who's broken. But there sorry, I keep interrupting you. But there are I know of two women, two women who both said to their husbands, and one in front of me, they liked it. They liked what Will Smith did. They thought that that was like that was the right way to um, 
to protect your woman. I'm so, I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm actually shocked by that, but you know, 56% of America apparently is not. And you know, I, I, Wait, what's the 56%? They think, or something like it. There's actually quite, I'll, I'll try to find this for the show, show notes too. There was a, they did a pretty thorough, um, what do you call that, polling of people based on age, race, economic, in, uh, religion and everything, what they thought and demographics, where, what they thought of the the punch or the slap or whatever you want to yeah. call it. And it was really split. It was really, yeah. really split and like so close, like- Democrats, Republicans, uh, Christian, not Christian. There was like a little bit, most of the skewing was a little bit like education, like uh, maybe it was like 56% with only a high school degree, but, but it was still, and the people I'm talking about, the women that liked it are professionals with, with pretty big positions. And uh, they are, I, I, I don't get it, but they do. That's fascinating. Well, I have two things to say in response to that. I I liked everything that you said, but I wanted to say I put on Twitter, uh, I think the next day, I can't help but being curious. I can't help but be curious about the backstories of every single person who says that slap was justified. And so I started, I got a few responses on that from people that were like, that answered in good faith. Um, And one of them said, you know, the things you might suspect like alopecia is an immunity disorder that can be, you know, he never should have spoken about that. But the really, the the thing underneath it was she said, you know, I just don't think you realize that black women have not been protected and that this felt like a certain vindication. And I I can see that. Yeah, I can see that too. And I think, um, there's, there's a lot of hurt in the world as we know. And, and, and I, I also think it, this is something I read in Wes Yang's Twitter, which I, I study uh, yeah. so often over my head, but um, you know, he was talking about how a lot of it falls along, like whether you are believe in honor cultures and honor cultures really believe that the insult to the woman is an insult to the man. And this, this comes out of, this is where you get honor killings, this is also stemming from the idea that rape as an insult is is a property crime uh, because it's an insult to the man, not to the woman. So there's all sorts of problems with honor culture. But I think one of the things that maybe we're hungry for or we miss in our own kind of disembodied, disambiguated, like chaotic modern world is an idea that there is respect and honor in each individual and that that we wouldn't be alone in all this. So I I thought that was a very interesting idea. Uh, I don't know enough about honor cultures to speak more fluently about it. But the other thing I want to say in regards to that slap. So in the fatherhood video, the 20 minute video where he talks about his own father, who he calls daddy-o, this is Will Smith now. His father was a retired military guy who was, sounds extraordinary, and instilled an incredible discipline that uh, helped them get out of their circumstances. But there were also, also subjected them to some 
to some violence. And one of and the, the mother, things, apparently, yeah, that's so, what I had read. So yeah. what Will Smith talks about in that video is seeing his mother punched by his dad. I don't know if this was once or multiple times, but he brings it up a few times. And one of the things he says is never again, like never, never, like I will never do this. And his own um, barricade, his refusal to hurt a woman is part of what creates distance with his first child. When he and his wife split, he becomes a father at 24. When he and his wife split, he's determined that that child is not going to see him fight with the the mother and, and things are getting contentious. So he just withdraws, which is a shameful act. I think he understands it's shameful. He since has had a very good relationship with that older child named Trey, who seems like the steadiest of the bunch and not in the public eye very much. Yeah, I, I never, I, I learned about him yesterday. Exactly, me yeah, too. Yeah. So one of the things though that just absolutely guts me when I think about is like, so this man, ever since he was a small, vulnerable child, has shaped his life around the idea that his children would never see him hurt his wife. So he's, and he ends up slapping a comedian on the most televised entertainment event of the year in front of all of America now. What kind of weird mutating virus is that? The, whatever rage is in him that has been so suppressed. Now, he has never struck me as a rageful individual, but of course he comes from a family of rage, so we know that can't be too far from his, his internal, I don't know, infrastructure, to mix metaphors. But I had to wonder, and I wonder what you thought about this. I mean, I did have this thought of like, okay, is he on some sort of steroids or testosterone? Because he was such a small, slender, younger man. And then now he's all like big and buff. And like that rage was so white and so blinding and quivering that it made me wonder if there was some sort of hormonal tweak inside whatever the family dynamics that were working themselves out, whatever haunting it is that's finding expression in that moment. Sarah, weren't you the person that told me uh, like the day after that you had a friend, like a really gentle truck driving country guy who said to you that um, someone, that what he did was indicative of him, of, of a man who actually wanted to hit his wife, but knew he shouldn't. Weren't you the one that, that said that to me? That you had a friend that told you that? That sounds familiar, but the okay. what's crazy is the person you described, I'm like, well, that could be like three different people um, in my life because I know a lot of people. Like <laughs> um, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, that, that I, I, I will say one thing, which is that one of my favorite people in college, um, he used to have... One of the things, details he told me that I never forgot is that if he went into his apartment, his posters were hung up to cover up holes in the wall that he had punched while drunk. We, we had holes in the, in the doors in my, growing up in my apartment. 
That, Did but, you? My, yeah, but my father only, he only took out his, his, he was a really tall guy, Italian guy, such a terrible temper. Uh, he, he used to do this, he used to whistle a lot like this, like a tea kettle between his teeth. And I realized like later in life that that was him um, <laughs> literally blowing off steam. But he never, he never was actual physical with my mother, um, but he, um, he just, he took it out on inanimate objects, like the phone was ripped off the wall and punching in the doors and, um, and very, uh, and a lot of yelling. Um, but enough about that. Um, I, I, I wanted to say something about the alopecia and about Jada. So I don't, I didn't know she had alopecia, but again, I'm not, I don't really follow Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, but okay. But I'm also going to posit that, you know what? Not everybody in that room is as famous as she is. And not everybody in that room was getting, you know, teased. I'm also a big believer in teasing. I tease everybody. I love getting teased. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's funny. It's funny. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of people in that room had problems. You know, there were people in that room that have cancer or their father just died or they're bankrupt. I mean, a lot of people have problems, okay? And when you are a public figure and you're sitting in the front row of the Academy Awards, this is what's going to happen. And if you don't know that, then I don't know where you've been. If you've had, you know, amnesia for the past 35 years. And she showed, she showed no graciousness there. Not only do I think she like literally kind of, I don't know, like somehow demanded her husband and get up do th and do that with a, with a look. But of course that's me projecting. But also what about, you know, we're all supposed to, you're talking about she wants to write her own narrative. Okay. How about this joke gets told? How about Jada gets up and she walks on the stage and she's like, dude, stop making fun of my hair. And then she gets off the stage. How about she protects herself? All right. I thought the whole thing stank. And I think, and I see, I understand people see Will Smith as the person at fault here. And he is the person that got up and did this. But I, I got to tell you, I think she really, 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 she really failed in a lot of ways. She failed herself. She failed the award. She failed her husband. And I, I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it in her, um, I'm going to put it in her court. If that's, I don't know if that's the right expression, but you know what I'm saying. I, I will say that I got a cold chill when I saw the video of her laughing as he was slapped. I had actually never seen anything like that. It's kind of hard to see. It's kind of a backward, it's like a shot from behind. And was it the, during the slap or when Will Smith said, or when, when Chris Rock was like holding his face or whatever? Yeah. Um. Again, you know, the, but that also very much plays into what you're saying, I guess, about honor culture. I mean, if that's the way things are settled and fuck, of course they are settled. I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I definitely was sitting on stoops when people were like fighting or definitely, definitely, you know, I think we talked about this on one of the other episodes. The girl's like, are you going to let him say that to me? You know, it's like, get up and protect me. Now, I would like to just, I would like to qualify all of this by saying, repeating something we said in a former episode. Listen, if I'm walking down the street with a guy and I am in physical danger, I fucking expect that he is going to come to my aid because the fact is usually a dude is stronger, okay? Like, I don't even know how to throw a punch. So if someone's going to punch me, I would appreciate it if my guy punches him first I or whatever, keeps me safe. Yes. But someone saying something to me, you know what? I actually have a mouth. As my daughter said, mom, you're good at talking. Okay? I have a mouth and I can, I can, I can protect myself or I could just laugh. That was also an option that she had. Right? I like I like to put my AirPods in and just pretend like people don't exist. 
when I'm walking down the street in New York and they say crap to me, I just like to go like, you don't really exist here. Oh my goodness. My cat. Oh, oh, Hi, cat. Wallace. <laughs> right in front of the, he, so, he just, I wanted to bring up something. That's why I put my glasses on. Um, I wanted to, if, if I can take this to a slightly, a let's social media yep. angle. Yep. The day after this happened, I posted on Instagram a picture of Will Smith winning the Oscar. I, I thought his Oscar speech was truly bizarre and worrisome. And I felt like I was watching somebody melt down and I was actually scared. And I How could you how could you not be melting down in that moment? It's right. impossible. There's such chaos, like a literally a storm inside him. It that's had right. to be horrible. That's right. That's right. Hi, Wallace. We're gonna Oh my goodness, you're a sweet baby. And I was reminded of a John Updike quote that I have always found quite total when it comes to this topic, which is a uh, celebrity is a mask that eats into the face. Oh my God. No, but that's, but that's true. Oh my God. It's costs. Look, we were going to, we're going to change tracks here a little bit. I, I have written about, I have written about celebrities. I have spent 18 years in Hollywood. You've written about fame. Fame is, fame demands a lot. It yeah. demands a lot. It brings people out the the desire for it, brings people out to Hollywood. I, I have literally stood in the, the dry cleaner's out in the valley where the guy is like, you know, the 75-year-old dry cleaning custodian, but he's got his headshot from 30 years right behind him. Yeah. And he's telling you how Sylvester Stallone sometimes brings his jackets in. So you never know. Like I could be getting a part any minute now. It is this, this, this insinuation and it, it, it keeps people captured and captivated. And I guess for the people who wear it on their face, you need to really, really, really be smart about it or 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 only so addicted to it. And I I mean, I don't I don't even know if it's possible. I, I don't know. I I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say, but how do you how do you navigate it well? Can you name some people that navigate fame super well? You know, I wondered about Denzel Washington. I thought he came off as the hero in the whole story. Um, he was like counseling him afterwards, correct? Exactly. And he says the great line that, you know, when you're at your peak, that's when the devil comes for you. It's quite a Shakespearean line, but, you know, whatever the moment called for it. Denzel really did come off as an elder statesman. He also is someone about whom I know very little. You know, exactly. you were saying earlier about celebrities that are not celebrities. I don't know Denzel Washington's wife. I know he has one. I think he has one. He, um, I've seen her like on a carpet with him. But yeah, you don't know I, about his kids. You don't I know don't know about lives. his kids. I don't no. know where he's from. And he's one of the most extraordinary actors of oh, yeah. our era. I actually thought one of the like low-key scandals of the Oscars was that he didn't win for Macbeth, which I thought was the best performance I had seen in years. And I love that play. And I thought Denzel just knocked it out of the park. I haven't seen King Richard, so I, I really can't speak to it. I have nothing against Will Smith. But I was sort of like, all right, this is off the topic, but damn it. Yeah, Denzel Washington should have won for this. <laughs> so I, I do think that people make it out. But I think it's such the exception. And we're talking a lot in culture these days about how wokeness or a certain kind of social justice has become a new religion. 
But what we often don't acknowledge is the way that Hollywood, fame and celebrity became its own religion over the last hundred years. We are a, we're a country without kings and queens. We're increasingly a godless country. And we turn towards the light of this really warped place. I uh, was part of it. I mean, I wanted to be famous more than anything I probably oh my God, me too. ever wanted. And I, when I For think years. about why I wanted that, it really just has to do with my wanting the light of feeling that I mattered, something that we would often in another, in another generation, another culture called God's light, the idea that you matter and that you're loved. And, and this was sort of a profound part of Christianity at its I'm not, I don't consider myself Christian, but it, I, I think the idea that you are loved unconditionally is so beautiful. I think people are seeking that so desperately and they find that first in Hollywood. Now they seek it out in social media. It is thrown us into some turmoil as a society to be seeking this kind of validation, value, and purpose through the channels of other people's eyeballs and keyboards and laptops. Um, I wanted to make one point about Instagram, if I could. Can I? Because sure. that's that's what I posted on Instagram, okay? I posted a picture with the John Updike quote. I thought it was clever. You liked it too, and you added some great stuff. All right. Lots of people came into the comments and sort of spoke pretty much without reserve against Will Smith. They This was not, this was the day after there were not a lot of people on Instagram that were like, that slap was justified. It was a bunch of my friends and other people yeah. I... No, you know, just sort of being like, what the hell was that? All right. About mm, 20, 25 comments in uh, a white woman that is a friend of a friend that I know she's a lovely person uh, to in my estimation. And until this moment sort of shocked me, uh, she writes, Ugh, annoyed with all these comments, Sarah, and hoping you can provide some leadership here to your followers. This was a complicated moment. It's not the place of a bunch of white people to sound off about this without understanding or giving voice to black women's experience, especially the ongoing denigration of black women's hair. All y'all, first, please, listen first, please, to what black discourse, and especially black women, and maybe just do that, just listen and learn. All right, I wrote to her that, like, I appreciated her comments, but that was not going to be happening. I, I was not going to be... Uh, you know, I, I was I, I had a forum that I felt that everyone should be able to share. Then she writes to me again. This is in the comments. I think you and your audience are being absolutely disrespectful to all the black women who have so clearly and so loudly asked you and other white women opinion makers and your followers to stand down on this one. It's the definition of disrespect. I'll keep calling it out. But thanks for reminding me of my options. Oh, I told her if she wanted some uh, she could look elsewhere. She says, I don't, quote, look elsewhere when I see race-based disrespect from my fellow white women. I try to call people in and call out when people have blind spots. I hope you do the same, of course. Isn't that all our responsibility? Some other white woman comes in, uh, and her name is, I'm not going to say it here, but you can tell. The other woman, you couldn't, she didn't have a, she didn't have an icon, so you couldn't see what her, her ethnicity was. She, she happens to be white. I happen to know her. Another woman that had a white picture comes in and says, well said, and I agree 100%. I am disappointed in the, the Sarah Heppel experience, is my name on Instagram, yep. response to your thoughtful comments. All right, 
So this happens. I'm, I'm like, what in the world is happening today? I had 20 different things coming at me this day. And I was like, not expecting this one. And the original poster of this, she and I started talking in private messages. And she lives in Seattle. And she sent me a oh, link. shocking. Right? And she <laughs> sent me a link to an Instagram where a very popular Black writer that I was not familiar with at the time had spoken out and said that this whole thing had taught her that white women will insert themselves into any scandal. And if you are a white person, you just need to stand down. It, fascinatingly, in her own little captions on the Instagram post, she had spelled white, W asterisk, 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 the way you would spell the N-word. I found it quite fascinating. And then there were a lot of people, there were hundreds of comments and a lot of them were from white women that were just saying, thank you, I will listen, I will do. And it was very wild and I had never seen anything like it. And it was just absolutely wild. And I didn't know what to say to my friend. I just basically said, hey, buddy, we good. We're going to agree to disagree on this. And she was like, yeah, we're good. And so anyway, while that was happening, somebody came into my Instagram feed for whom I'm just eternally grateful for this because everybody wonders how to handle this stuff when you know you feel like, is everybody watching this? Who's seeing? Like, do, what do I need to say? How do I nip this in the bud? Someone named stargazer.studio502, uh, who was a, a black woman, comes in and addresses one of them that had the icon and says, I, yo, you're obviously white. Don't speak on behalf of minorities. That's we all right. have We all have a right to what we believe. Who wants to promote this? Give white people more fuel for black on black hate. Come on, simmer. Sometimes you do more harm than good with your combative stance. Thank you for caring, but you can't get it. We got this for real. And I was like, thank you. Thank fucking God. I mean, look, look, we know, we know the culture we've been living through the past couple of years, all these people from Seattle, all these, they've all read the books. They all feel like they're being good allies and they should do this. I, first of all, Anybody can say whatever the fuck they want, and you can read it, and you can like it. You don't want it. If you are Chinese and you want to cook Jewish food, please be my guest. Food is love. Food is love. I hate the term full stop, but food is love motherfucking full stop, okay? And Chinese, I mean, and, Jewish and, food is delicious. And Chinese food is delicious. And if if you want to, you do whatever you want. You want to write a book? You write whatever book you want with whatever characters you want. You do it. People are going to like it or they're going to hate it. And where we are in the culture is going to do it. Sarah Heppola experience has the right to post whatever she wants. People don't like it. That's fine. But to go in and say, you should be doing this because this class of people or this race of people feel that. What? what the f Shut the fuck up. Speak for yourself. Or, And I'm so glad that this person, Stargazer502 or whatever, came in. And also, the thing is, like, you're going in and spouting this stuff, which is now popular and makes you look like you're one of the good guys in the eyes of history. But you're there, there's a million kinds of fucking black people. You think that th this particular thing, this is the thing, and if we don't all do it, we're bad. Get the fuck out of here, really. And also, learn to laugh, have good friends, let people talk, let people have their own opinions. I, I, don't, I don't go with any of this stuff. At all. No, I don't silence people. And I also think that the perception that this was and something that uniquely happened to Black women 
was fascinating because it actually happened to Chris Rock and it was happened to all the viewers of that event and it happened to Will Smith. So I, I, I felt the proprietary claim on this being a, a uniquely cutting insult to Jada Pinkett. You've already discussed the man quality of that joke to begin with. I was absolutely fascinated by that because it seems to offer a unique opportunity for certain individuals to silence their critics and to use morality as the the sharpest weapon. And in fact, it really quite works. I mean, what you see throughout a lot of other pages and, and is, is that that actually works. And so to have that kind of silencing mechanism, oh, I'm sorry, you actually can't speak on this, is, is quite incredible. Um, this, is, this is all we do these days. This, or not not we, but this is this is what happens. It's like, well, you're not of this race. You don't get to say anything. You're not of this sex. You don't get to say anything. You don't have to, you don't get to have an opinion on this thing that happened in the culture because y- y- you are not, um, you are not the person we perceive as having um, been hurt by it. Well, that's a hell of a power disruptor. It's a, it's a hell of a, of a agent of chaos. To, to do, to be able to wield that kind of mallet in the public square is, is fascinating and wild and it's happening all the time. And I have, you know, obviously I wrote an Atlantic essay about this, you know, like for five years I was like, okay, you're right. I give in to this. And now I'm like, I'll take the mallet in the face. I, I'm actually the I'm writing publishing a piece today um, about I had a little uh, as I opened the piece um, I met when I was covering all the stuff in Portland I met a bunch of anarchists of course because I was covering Antifa and all this stuff and one I've stayed in touch with a lot yeah. and he sent me a and and he'll like send me links like maybe I'm interested in this maybe yeah. I support it I usually don't I usually mm-hmm. this is no it's nonsense totally. but the one from last week was about you know they were going to pass this law in. Um, in New York, you know, making petty theft, cracking down harder on petty theft because of certain things. And he's like, you know, this is terrible. You know, it's really just poor people stealing baby formula. And I'm like, you know, dude, I got to tell you, you know, it's not it's Les not, it's not, it's not. And, um, I kind of gave some examples and he came back at me with this thing. Like, um, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a person's or an employee's, uh, right to like take care of a store or something. I was like, what are you talking about? Anyway, I wrote a piece about how, in fact, I think this kind of position where you demonize Mm -hmm. one particular group is incredibly immature. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's basically saying, I don't actually want to engage in events or ideas. Instead, I'm going to make um, big corporations or white women or all men or all black people or all Jews or whatever, they're going to be the easily identifying group that I will hate and that I will speak against. And then it's like, because then that gives me, then all of a sudden, if somehow it gains some steam, then you gain a little bit of power. Oh, fuck. Power tastes kind of good, don't it? Right? They like the taste of it. And then once you have power and you have power kind of over other people, then you can say to yourself, well, see, the reason I have that is because I'm one of the good people, right? So this person that has crept into your comments, she has now decided 
she's one of the good people. And in order to be one of the good people, someone's got to be the bad people. And Sarah, you're the bad people. See how that works? It's and really, be my new it, motto at the, at the Sarah Heppel experience. <laughs> The bad people. <laughs> the bad people. It's the name of this podcast, actually. We are the bad people. Um, you know, it's it's just it's just way, way too easy. It's also lazy. And it's also kind of it's also kind of cruel, you know. And I and as in the piece, I kind of take it, it's like, you know, it starts out by saying it's fine to steal. And then we're what's the next step? Assault? Assault? I don't know, bombing people on a on a on a train platform in Ukraine? Because you know. The people that are doing that are telling themselves they're the good people, right? You know, the cruelty in the name of justice out there is breathtaking to me. It's, I got to say, it's like I almost could start crying over it. The cruelty perpetrated, you know, obviously on a worldwide stage, we're talking about people being murdered and blown up or the small cruelties that we see every, every fucking day on Twitter in the name of X in the name of whatever your particular the the little the little I've said this before too <laughs> I said this a couple of times I think I've put it in writing so now people that have heard it are going to be like oh, can Nancy Rommelman not say something fucking new but anyway if you and your crew practice sharpening knives that's what you do you're knife sharpeners you spend all day sharpening knives sharpening knives well if you do this you're going to want to use the knives right mm-hmm. and then if you think the knives if you're not creating a world in which using those sharpened knives is is okay you're you're fucking fooling yourself that you're creating the world you're creating the badness in the world that you're complaining about do you find it interesting that at a time when microaggressions have resulted in people losing their jobs. We have a a situation on Twitter where people can regularly cut another person to shreds metaphorically and face no consequences. Um, I I find this extremely uh, uh, unethical. I find it anti-human. I even though uh, obviously I've personally dealt with this stuff myself and have written about it multiple times about other people's experiences as well. Um, I even can have uh, sympathy um, sometimes in the right right moments um, for the people that perpetrate it because they're making a worse world. They're making a world in which um, this is uh, this is the first bullet out of their gun, or these are the bullets that they're always dodging, but they're creating this world. Again, you know, we have to always qualify this by saying, you know, we live in a certain world where this exists. Of course, you know, it spreads, it exists for other people that may have not even heard of it, like some like small college campus in small town USA. Um, but I think the, the, the things that I know to do about it is, um, you know, hashtag never shutting up. That would be me and you for sure. Um, and calling it as you see it. And also when people accuse you of things, you know, you haven't done just say, well, that has nothing to do with me and move on. I mean, that I, I, I've had to do that. Um, because, because these movements, they require, they require calories. All right. They require your engagement. They require you, they require a reaction. And if they don't get it, then they got to move on. It's like they, they, they need the calories to survive. So if you're not going to give it to them, then they're, they're, they're going to find, um, they're going to move on to the next. I also firmly believe, 
and have done this and will always continue to do this. If you see, sorry, I don't know when this became the advice show, but um, if you see someone that this is happening to, that you have some way or desire to connect with, you really do need to extend your hand privately to people. You you really do. I've done this numerous times and just say, listen, hold on. It's okay. It's going to get better. Here's some tips and, um, you know, and to, to reassure them because you really do feel like you're on fire when it's happening. You, you're just, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, cyclonic. So I've I've been thinking about what it means to get canceled and how elastic that term is. And nobody can quite agree on the meaning of it, which means we can constantly fight over whether it's happening or not. But one of the things that happens when you become the subject of public scorn, a, you never know the, the radius of the explosion. In other words, did everybody see that that happened or just 10 people that are following me that told me? This is one of those strange things. Like when I was getting dragged on Twitter over the Atlantic, I would see people and they'd be like, oh man, I saw what happened to you. And I'd be like, oh my God, they saw it. And then I would see my parents and I'd be like, and they'd be like, how's it going? And they, had, <laughs> they had no idea. They thought everybody loved great. it. They thought everybody loved it because they're on Facebook. So it was a very disconcerting thing of like, who's seeing this? And then there were a couple people that I spoke about and never used their names in maybe this podcast or another podcast, uh, Megan Dom's podcast. And I reached out to them and said, Hey, I just want to let you know, I spoke about you. I hope this isn't upsetting. And then one of them didn't get back to me for like five days. And just the low key dread of like this person oh who I have yeah, yeah, loved yeah. for 10 years, who is a dear friend of mine, is not going to respond to me because of this, because she has taken a cautious step away from me. You know, she didn't tweet about the piece. She didn't comment on the piece. I hadn't seen her on my social media channels for a while. She and I were very tight for a long time. The low key dread that something is like people are leaving you and you don't even know it. And it, it that is what I think is part of the terror that people talk about when they talk about being canceled. Now, I just got dragged on Twitter for a few days. It was fine. I've been shadow banned. It's cool. I'm good. Everything's good. But I think people don't, sometimes they focus on the legal implications or the, the professional implications. And they don't talk about the emotional hit of that. And the what basically happens, I can't remember who was saying this the other day, but somebody was saying, why doesn't everyone just admit it just hurts your feelings? It just hurts your feelings when you get dragged on Twitter. And it actually really, really sucks. And instead, everybody tries to pretend like, oh, no, it's fine. It's good. Like, no, it really like it truly did hurt my feelings. I have no problem. My own personal podcast should be just be called you hurt my feelings because it's, it's always <laughs> almost always true i don't like and that shirt sarah i know it's terrible and I, I'm, I'm working on it believe me this is what i'm therapizing you need to do through. the work sarah you need to do the work i'm so doing the work i'm really 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 doing the work i think part of my coming out so to speak and and talking more honestly about how i feel is that i feel strong enough to say okay when people roll on me when they move away I can say that's not about me. That's about them. That's about what they needed from our um, connection right. and, and et cetera. But, but I'm strong enough to do that now. But most of my life I've lived just in absolute fear of getting my feelings hurt. And they were hurt very easily. So, so it's, it's, it's very like 
But that dread and of of people moving away from you, just to complete this story, I I checked in with that woman uh, yesterday, and it turned out she had been on vacation, and yeah. she's like, "Oh my god, I'm sorry, I, you know," and she's a mother, and it was just like, oh, "Yeah," so it's just like a week that she didn't check her email, but I'd never known her to do that, and I went into all sorts of scenarios. I mean, whatever. This is the emotional terrorism of the digital age, too. You know, right? Of course, I I learned that God quite a while ago. It was like you know nobody. <laughs> You send someone an email or like an editor, like, you know, when you're like, yeah. waiting to hear and then you don't hear back. Oh, my God, they must hate the story. It must yes. be like the worst thing they ever. Read. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. My mother had to go into the hospital. It's exactly. Like, oh, right. Other people have lives. I keep forgetting that they have that. I'm not the most I'm not the most important thing in your life. I mean, how dare I know. you? I know yeah. it is. I never have forgiven anyone for that. Um, I uh, want to actually go back to something about fame you were saying, yeah. because I, too, like as a kid, like that was it, like from the age of four until maybe even in my 20s. I mean, I went from New York to Hollywood to, you know, because as you know, I was destined to be a movie star, right? And um, when you, the way you were saying it, it really made me realize it. it is about, it's not just about celebrity. What is celebrity? That's a sticker it's, you can stick on your body. It's a nothing. It's, it's advanced. There's nothing to that. No. But there is, what, what does it get you? Well, you believe it's going to get you love. I mean, you want, you want love. It's not that, you, I mean, I, I did, I do. I mean, Absolutely. I don't want someone to kiss my feet or something like that. I, I, you want love. And, um, I also am wondering if you like me are just like terribly grateful that you did not Absolutely. become a movie star. hundred percent. Oh my God. So happy. So happy that 100%. that did not happen. You know, um, <clears throat> because to, one of the yeah. really cool things about writing is that a, you don't have to get cast in anything. So even though, we have the hell of trying to get published. Just the, the the space between me and the laptop or the blank page is zero. I can do yeah. it anytime. Yeah. 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 Or Unlike, we do this podcast. We or exactly. Do exactly. Yeah, you don't have to wait and for anybody. The other thing is that as I get older, I get better and I get wiser and deeper and more real and my voice gets stronger. And in when you're dealing with acting, I mean, you know, like that, after 35, it's so hard. And it does they changing take you into a little a, bit, but they take you out into a field and shoot you, I think. Right. right? That's yeah. the Tina Fey's yeah. idea. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> was that like right? Did she say that? well, she had that funny, or maybe it was an Amy Schumer show. Oh, oh, I know. I'm conflating two things. In Bossy Pants, Tina Fey has a line that after a woman becomes unfuckable, they just call her crazy. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> What? As soon as she gets old enough to be unfuckable, then that's when they call her crazy. But until then, it's something I, I like kinda, that. I kind of don't. Okay, whatever. I kind of don't get that one. But okay, I, I think I might have not have told it very okay. well. But the idea being that, like, until and while you're still fuckable, we'll put up with you, and okay. your your shit will get dealt with. And okay. then as soon as you're unfuckable, we're like that woman's crazy. Right. And so, and the other one was that Amy Schumer once did like a little segment on her show where all these women over 40 or they, they, they were like, it was like Julia Dr Louis Dreyfus's last fuckable day on earth. <laughs> it was really funny. And so she was being shipped out in a little boat and Tina Fey was there. And I think Amy Poehler was there and maybe somebody else. I can't remember now, but they were all like, it's Julia's last fuckable day. And it it's really funny. Oh my God. I have to find that. That's so funny. Yeah. You would have had a, you would have had a busy, busy day. Yeah. 
right. Yeah, it was. It's it's good though. Oh my god! Um, but really yes, funny. all of that is so true. We can we. Um, I have a request. Yes. Can we talk about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? Yeah, we will for a minute. So uh, let's. Uh, I'll tell you how I found this. So um, as some of you peoples out in the world know, we've got a site called PalomaMedia.com. And usually um, the dude I work with on it, Scott Ross, uh, he's on vacation this week. So I get to propagate all the work we didn't do section. So I was kind of like scrolling around for stuff to put up today. And I found something saying that uh, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation case. He's suing her for, is it $50 million for defamation? This is like, yeah. I guess they're divorced or this whole thing happened like six years ago. I know very, very little about it. Um, but I do remember some like really gross stories. Like, yeah. like she said he pooped the bed or like he, he accused her of like cutting off his, I, look, just like terrible, terrible stuff. Yeah. And we will talk about that. But the one thing that I went back and, and, and I, anyway, I put a little link to the whole thing on Paloma Media. Uh, and then I'm, I went back and read a piece that the Washington Post published of, in air quotes, Amber Heard's uh, in 2018, right, right when Me Too was just howling through the culture. And it is so, it is written, look, look I, I would bet my right leg that this was not written by Amber Heard, but sure. Amber Heard was in the news and this was a message that had to get out into the world, you know, about how terrible uh, men were in general and how, uh, you know, women have been silenced for so long. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I will put a something in the show notes, but let me just can, read. Can this I, before you read it, yes, before you yes, read it, can yes, I, can I yes. make two notes for our audience? Please. Please. One is that just to clarify in case I missed it and you, 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 I didn't think you had already. This is what Johnny Depp is suing over. He okay. is suing over this 2018 piece. The other thing is that for the third time I had to Google Amber Heard today. I cannot keep in my head who she is. She is an actress. She was in a long list of movies I have never seen. The most prominent of that was Pineapple Express, maybe the Adderall Diaries, and she has recently been involved with the um, Avengers, Justice League, Avengers of Death, Masks of Fury, I don't know. Aquaman, Aquaman. So that's all I wanted to add. In case anybody's brain is spinning going, who is Amber Heard? Okay, so... Here is this part that Amber Heard wrote. Imagine a powerful man as a ship like the Titanic. The ship is a huge enterprise. When it strikes an iceberg, there are a lot of people on board desperate to patch up holes, not because they believe in or even care about the ship, but because their own fates depend on the enterprise. Does this sound like Amber Heard wrote this? <laughs> no. no. It sounds like some script doctor it, for the Titanic wrote it. It yeah, it's just um it's it's a very it's a very uh it's a message. It's a message and they needed a messenger, so they used her as the messenger. And I, right. I find it I mean, I'm not surprised that in um November or whatever whatever it was, late twenty eighteen, that we saw pieces like this. But I'm not sure how this actually helps um people that are actual victims of assault. Amber Heard claims she has a story, okay? She claims that she's been abused by her husband, okay? But in, And now she's going to take to the Washington Post to write this piece because it's so important because women have not been heard. Mm -hmm. But she's actually not writing it. Right. She's not writing it at all. She has some team of people that are writing it. Well, when How she said, use your voice, she meant use the voice of the PR people that you employ. 
I, I find this, I find this, this isn't, this is, okay. So look. there's so many things about that. It's very short. It's, it's practically a couple, a tweet thread. Um, about that op-ed that I found really beguiling. Uh, the first is that her bio introduces her as an actress and ambassador for women's voices at the ACLU. And I was like, what the what? I just miss the day when people were just straight up actresses. That's all I'm going to say. I just miss the day when it was like Denzel Washington is an actor, period, end of sentence, none of this other business. This whole activism arm that feels like it's it's evolved in part as a alternate way toward fame and glory when the traditional channels of Hollywood have been closed to you. Anyway, stop, subject for another time. The other thing about that story is that it's so vague. She actually, she's like, I've, I saw abuse as a child. There's the weird Titanic metaphor. And then she starts talking about other cases that happened. And then she's like, so let's all stand up. And it's really, I, I guess I understand why Johnny Depp might want to sue over that piece. I think it's going to be very hard to prove because she never outright says anything. What's he going to have to do? Prove that he's not the Titanic. I don't understand. Well, that's, which is, you know, that's why it's carefully written by herself and a team of PR people to make sure that she's not sticking her tit in the ring or whatever, opening herself herself up to to a lawsuit. But clearly, there's so much rancor within this relationship, our previous relationship, that, you know, they can't let it go. This is what, you know, happens. I mean, that whole thing just sounds like a complete train wreck of a relationship. Who knows? why or how it happened. But people, people, I know this from, you know, people that I know personally, um, they are married and then they spend a long time getting a divorce because they can't let go. You know, they just can't let go. They still want to be involved in the, in the, with the person somehow. So if it's not going to be in a loving way, it'll be in a hateful way. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking this morning about the history of kind of like unsinkable toxic couples in history. I had seen a very smart writer friend had just written a book on Vivian Lee and Laurence Olivier. I didn't even know they were together. But the headline about the book said something like Hollywood's most toxic couple, which what? I I would have thought if that was anybody, it was Richard Taylor. I'm sorry, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Um but the idea is that throughout Hollywood's history, it has catered to these these really explosive magnetic dyads that are that are drawn both to each other, toward a certain sort of self destruction, and towards the camera itself. And all of this has just fed the beast of Hollywood itself, because then you get the creation of the tabloid industry, and then you get the creation of the paparazzi. And all these things I was thinking about Will Smith and Jada, you know, this idea that like, we, ch- like at the end of the day, they chose each other. And I don't know why. And I don't know if they have NDAs. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what they're working through in their own quote unquote broken lives, but they chose each other for a reason and it, and it works. It works long enough that they keep staying in each other's orbit. Will Smith went into rehab and I just want to quickly say, I know that gets made fun of, but I actually think there are not a lot of places you can go and just take a goddamn break from the madness of the world and try to get a little bit clear of clarity in your life. 
I don't think it's a bad idea that he went to rehab personally. Is, he in, is he in rehab now? Yeah, he's in Did rehab he now. now? Yeah. Oh, man. No, I have to say, oh, man, literally the first second I saw this, or not the first second, but within moments, I was like, I really, really, really hope that he goes and, and gets some rest and gets some help. Yeah, and because I, you just, and, and, whatever it is, he needs to break the stream of it. Like, yeah, like, like whatever it is, if it's, if, if it's if it's the marriage, if it's rage, if it's whatever, he's fame. He needs to break the stream for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And for and sure. so I was thinking about that when I was reading Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. In in their case, Johnny Depp is a it was at the time when they got together, an extremely popular um, entertainer. Now I have a deep attachment, childhood attachment to Johnny Depp. Because when I was about 11 years old, a show called 21 Jump Street sure. <laughs> came on a new network called Fox, which was one of the four that I got on my black and white TV in my living room, in my bedroom. And so I watched it and I found him just, it was instant love for me. It was oh, he's breathtakingly love. handsome. Cute. And then the more that I learned about him as an individual, he was especially through the 80s and 90s, quite a fascinating celebrity in the sense that he really pushed against a lot of this conventional grain. He was choosing very oddball movies like Cry Baby, Edward Scissorhands, which I think is just an absolute classic. And, you know, he was dating interesting people like Jennifer Grey or Winona Ryder. He seemed very troubled, but he also seemed to be sort of like, had like a beatnik's heart. And and I think ultimately that's his undoing too. You know, Hunter S. Thompson was his hero. And I think Hunter S. Thompson was somebody that allowed his soul and his life to be destroyed by booze. I see that in Johnny's own narrative. I don't know the details of what he did. I will tell you that just as I said last week, I will stand by anybody that poops in their bed. You might not literally stand by <laughs> Did you say that them. last week? <laughs> no, but I was saying that about, about sex, like, you know, like transgressions that men yeah. make in blackouts. Yeah. Now I'm just going to be, I'm standing with the poopers, the bed poopers, because they're my people. And I can't tell you how many meetings I've been you. in where somebody like, though, there was a great line one time where this guy was like, I used to pee the bed and I suddenly realized I could get plastic sheets. Like that's the thinking. Oh, like it wasn't oh, like, my. I need to stop peeing the bed. It was like, I've got a fix for this. And so those are my people. And oh. I, you know, I have not given a shit about Johnny Depp's career since he started doing the Pirates of the Caribbean or Pirates of Penzance, whatever. No, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't like that. I never liked it. I thought it was mimicry and weird. And I don't, it's, it's, it's a phony movie to me. I don't even know. It's like a hologram of a movie. I don't know what it is. I don't know where Tim Burton is. I don't know what's happening to anybody, but I, as I was reading that story and I was thinking about how big he was in his career and how desperate she probably was for the kind of access he could provide to her and how alluring that must have been and how disorienting it must have been to, you know, trade the fantasy of Johnny Depp for this smelly, pooping, bed-pooping drunk that probably just was like sweaty and hung over all the time. And whatever happened in the course of their their short marriage, which is now making its way through the legal system, because I think one of the tragedies about 21st century, which I say, even though a lot of my best friends are lawyers, is that nobody seems to be able to work out their own shit 
uh, not just offline, but outside the court system. Uh, or, the, or the therapist's office. Yeah. Like, I don't know what happened to, I sound like such an old person, get off my lawn. <laughs> but like, I really don't know what happened to like somebody sitting down across from the other person and being like, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Can we talk about this? Yeah. Okay. And I, the reason I brought that up is because, okay, so we were talking a minute ago. It's like, why did you want to be a celebrity? Well, you really want you know, you love and you're talking about like walking toward the light. Yes. Okay. So you create this light. Well, what happens when you create, create light? People for good and ill are drawn to it. You know, did Amber Heard really fall in love with Johnny Depp? I don't know. Was she attracted to his celebrity? Likely. She also went out with Elon Musk, apparently. So she's moving in some rarefied worlds. But these people, again, I wrote, I've written about child stars. I'll put a, a link in the show notes to Jenna at 15. And it's incredible. The, the, the industry that grows around, let's say, a child star, let's say Black Lives Matter. We see what's happening with certain implosions over there. With, um, with you asked me, because uh, Jada said to Will Smith in that little 19 sec, 19, uh, 2019 video, hasn't so-and-so helped our marriage? And you said to me, how did so-and-so become like the celebrity therapist to the stars? What is her name? Esther Again? Perel. Esther okay. Perel. I was like, I, I, who is this person? And you're like, oh, she wrote this book, Sex at Dawn. Is no, no, right? no, no, no. She wrote Mating and Captivity. Mating and Captivity. And State oh. of Affairs. Sex at Dawn is oh. two guys. It's a different book. Oh. Very I, similar lane, though. I don't know. Then I don't know if I'm going to tell this story, which is a pretty good story. But I don't know <laughs> now if it's Jermaine. Sex at Dawn story. We'll have to. We'll Maybe. Yeah, it is. I think it is a Sex at Dawn story. Sex at Dawn is the one where, like, you know, people are not naturally monogamous yes. book. Yeah, yeah. It's that book. Okay, never mind. Mating in Captivity has some adjacency to that. Because I love that title. It's a brilliant title. And, and Esther Perel is a Belgian psychotherapist who, and also very foxy, not that that's relevant, but she is, it's always relevant to me. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a no, it, it's, it, it is, it is. And, and she, she is a, she has like a brilliant Ted talk. She's, she, I heard her first on Dear Sugar that oh, podcast. I know, I know, I know Cheryl. Yeah, Straight. yeah. They they had her on for a whole episode to talk about infidelity and monogamy. I think she's absolutely un un. She's peerless on the subject of the modern complications around monogamy and why it is so hard in a modern world to have a long term monogamous marriage and whether you even want to have one and what it means and the complications of opening up. She's un, she's unbelievably good. At the same time, why is she, why is she working with Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith? And she's, I know she has a bunch of other celebrity clients. And it's like, what's she doing? I don't. Drawn to I, the light. Drawn to the light. I, I, and and you know, hey, look, if it's the next step in her career, okay. I just, I mean. Personally, the idea, God, I'm so, that, okay, it was a 40 second video and I had 17 reactions. It's like, first of all, if you're going to go to couples counseling, which honestly, it, it never would occur to me to do this, but if you're going to do it, why in the world are you telling the whole world about it? Like, what, what is that? Because we live in a therapeutic world. We live in a world where that is a, a, no. 
baton of strength and power and it immune it immunizes her from any you know attack of she her doing something wrong and because this is all sort of status building brand building you know she's trying to get people to look at her she's trying to use her husband and the name is Dare Perel to basically get people to tune into her silly Facebook watch show that nobody cared about, even though a million people watched this thing with her husband. She's got to know deep in her heart, she doesn't have much to give. Jada this- has got to know that she doesn't bring much to the table. And so there's a constant leveraging of the kids, of the celebrity therapist, of the husband. I mean, there's a moment where he looks at her and he's like, don't use me. Like, don't. Yeah. He comes very close to saying basically like, stop using me for your own social media. Yeah. This is, to, I, I don't find anything about this honorable. And to then say that the extension of this, him going up and creating such a cyclone of shame and fear and, you know, in a lot of ways, career destruction. I think he hope he'll probably be okay in order to continue to satisfy her needs is really bad. It's really, really bad. And I got to say, you cannot say that, yeah, he's doing this for his woman. Well, he's doing this for his woman's weird pathologies and needs, and it's not good. It's not okay. I had this weird thought as I was watching her cackle that it was like she, some part of her is going to be so gratified because he's going to be back down to her level. <gasps> well, look, when you really, okay, I said something funny to you the other day, which was um, my late friend, Kathy Seip, um, used to say, Whenever something good happens to someone, I say, what's in it for me? But she did it in a sweet way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I 100% believe that every single time something good happens to a friend, it's awesome. It makes the world better. It makes my world better by extension. The idea of bringing something down to bringing people to your level, I think they call it crabs in a barrel, right? As soon as one tries to crawl out, the rest pull him back in. The idea of doing this as a life strategy is so sad making. It make it like physically right now, I feel incredibly sad mm-hmm. that anybody would do that. We see it all the time, but that 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 they are doing this on a world stage. It's 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 sad. And to celebrate it in any way is not good. Is not good. Celebrity. It doesn't make things, it does not make things better for black women. Okay. Okay. I, I have a right. That's my opinion. Okay. I do not think that this makes better things better for anyone, any person in the, I don't think that that show of what he did made things better for anyone in any way. The only people that came out of that entanglement, the better was alopecia Google searches. There we go. <laughs> and now, and now let's see what kind of parasites try to attach themselves to alopecia or say, I have alopecia too, so I can have my 10 minutes of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 uh, of adjacent fame. A hundred percent. Before we go. Yes, ma'am. I have taken note of your t-shirt. 
Okay, I, I'd like to say something. Actually, I was gonna I was gonna open with this. So, Sarah, this is our third um, our third podcast together. And for people that don't know, Sarah and I actually can see each other. We're using Zencaster. I'm not advertising, but you know, Zencaster. If you want to send me um send me something, you can. Uh, and you like the first ones? I like I put on a cute dress. I think I even put on makeup. I'm now wearing a 30 year old shirt that a friend of mine gave me, and it is uh it it says um just wrap your legs around these velvet rims. And strap your hands across my engines, which would be a quote from uh, Born to Run, Bruce Springsteen. And I have been on this crazy Born to Run, the album, Jag, for like a couple Can months Can you actually now. read that? This is like oh, super yeah. spindly writing. And I think it says, what is it? It says something on the back. Let's see. Your hair. Your hair is, you got to move your hair. It says Born to Run 1975. Well, yeah. I mean, I literally have had, the, I've had this shirt for 30 years and it's just, it's tr- kind of my most comfortable shirt. So that's, it, uh, there was a comedian, I don't remember his name, it was back in like the nineties. And he's like, you know, when you first get together with your wife, and like she wears all that hot lingerie. And then like a few months in, it's like period panties over the, the towel rack. So I'm now wearing the, the period panties um, for you, Sarah. I appreciate that. Meanwhile, I wore this really darling yellow dress. And this is very much like my relationships. This is the other person is like giving up. I'm like ramping up. I'm like, can I buy lingerie? Could I get some surgery to make my legs longer? What could I do to make this person love me the way that I need to be loved? Speaking of lingerie. Oh, God. yeah, well, that's that's coming. It's our it's our weakness. Lingerie is my weakness. Um, okay, I think we'll end on that note. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we've got kind of some we got some things cooking, don't we, Sarah? A little bit. We do. We do. We've we been do. cooking in the kitchen. We have been cooking in the kitchen, and of course, you guys will be the first to know about it. Um, and uh, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs>